This is the Clinical Pharmacology Podcast with Nathan Tusher, where I discuss clinical pharmacology and pharmacometrics topics from the perspective of drug development scientists. Hello, everyone. This will be my last episode of the year for the Clinical Pharmacology Podcast. This is the 16th episode I've made since July of this year. Half of the episodes were related to regulatory guidance documents, and the other half were topics that I found interesting and wanted to share with you. On average, over 300 people listen to each episode. I truly appreciate you listening and providing feedback to me. Many of my episodes were developed based on your feedback via my website, LinkedIn, or email. I have not touched every topic suggested to me, and I'll work to cover much more in 2024. I also wanted to wish everyone a happy holiday, and if you are a Christian, a very Merry Christmas. I am Christian, and this time of year is a reminder for me that there is a higher purpose to our existence here on earth. I truly believe we are children of God and that He wants us to be happy and joyful. I hope that during this season you find some joy and happiness in your life and relationships. Today I wanted to talk about computer system validation. All right, I know it's a podcast, but I heard the groans. I'm with you. This is not my favorite topic, but with over 20 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry doing pharmacokinetic analysis, this topic has come up a few times. Instead of hiding from it, let's deconstruct it and talk about it. I believe that once you start talking about it, you will find that it is much more straightforward than you expected. And you will also find that you probably know more about it than most other people in your organization, including IT and QA departments. In my last three organizations, I led and implemented the computer system validation efforts. This includes a medium-sized pharmaceutical company with thousands of employees and computer systems, a multinational contract research laboratory, and a large multinational consulting organization. In all of these situations, the computer system validation work for pharmacokinetics prior to my arrival was overly burdensome, complicated, confusing, and missed key aspects of what auditors expect to see. During my time at those organizations, I participated in multiple audits at each organization, including an audit by the FDA. The computer system validation work that I helped perform passed scrutiny in all of those audits without any issues. So based on my experience, what I'm going to share today is not only reasonable, it will pass reviews of FDA and other third-party auditors. First, let's talk about regulatory guidance documents related to computer system validation. I have links to three guidance documents and one guidance outline from the compliance group at the US FDA. So essentially four documents. Two documents are related to software that is implemented in medical devices. And two documents are related to computer systems used to collect data in clinical trials. So I'm gonna ruin the movie for you. There are absolutely no guidance documents on computer system validation for software used in the analysis of pharmacokinetic or pharmacodynamic data. Let me say that again. I am not aware of a single guidance document that is directly related to the validation of software used for pharmacokinetic or pharmacodynamic analysis. In fact, I can't even find a statement about software validation in the guidance documents that describe PK and PD analyses. In the population PK guidance, the word validation appears multiple times, 
but it's only related to validating the model, not the software used in the analysis. So if someone tries to tell you that there is a specific guidance document on software validation for PK software, they're either mistaken or worse, they're lying to you. If they insist, ask them to produce the document and then read it. My guess is it'll probably be one of the four documents that I've linked to, and none of them, none of them mention or even are remotely applicable to PK software applications. So you're probably thinking, does that mean we don't have to validate PK software? Maybe you could take that approach, but I don't recommend it. I believe that we can take the relevant principles from these guidance documents and apply them where appropriate to PK's computer software systems. Not every aspect of each guidance is relevant, but there are some core principles that should be followed. Here's how I see the issue. First, a reviewer of your analysis will want to know that the numbers in your report are reliable based on the analysis that you described and the software you used. If you say that the AUC is 356 nanogram hours per milliliter, then they want to know that the software you used to calculate that number was able to accurately calculate that number from the source data. Second, there is not a single pharmacometrics analysis that cannot be reproduced with the input data set and the model code. This is what I call non-destructive analysis. Pharmacometric analysis normally involves taking a set of concentration time data, applying a mathematical modeling process, and producing a set of numbers derived from that data. No matter how many models you run on that concentration time data, it will still be there for the eternities. Well, unless you delete it from your hard drive, but that's a different problem. This is very different than something like collecting body weight or blood pressure from a patient in a clinical study or determining the concentration of a drug sample. These are examples of what I call destructive analysis. Once you measure the blood pressure, you cannot go back in time and measure it again. You can make a new measurement, but there is no good way to go back and recreate the original measurement. The same with a blood sample in bioanalysis. Once you have completed your analytical experiment, the portion of the blood sample is gone used up, no longer available. You might have more sample for a new analysis, but there's no way to repeat that original analysis. The process for making the measurement destroys the sample. When you're doing destructive analysis using a computer system, the rigor required to minimize the possibility that an error occurs is much higher because you can't go back and repeat the analysis. In contrast, if you mess up in calculating the Cmax, guess what? You load up the data and you try again. No harm, no foul. Thus, the rigor required for computer system validation should be lower for PK analysis than it is for clinical trial data collection or bioanalysis. Third, a reviewer wants to understand which data were used and what methods were used in case they want to replicate the analysis. And finally, fourth, a reviewer wants to know which versions of software you used in your analysis in case they want to replicate it. So what does all this mean for computer system validation for clinical pharmacology analysis applications? Here's my recommendations. It's a four-step plan. Number one, you should write up a computer system qualification plan that outlines the following. 
what software is critical for your analysis calculations, what software is installed but not critical for your analysis calculations. How do you plan on installing the software? How do you plan on verifying that your critical software applications perform on your system the same way they performed for the software developer? And how do you plan on managing changes to the software in your system? Step two, you then execute the qualification plan, ensuring that you record the relevant activities. Step three, you should review and update the qualification documents on a regular basis or with each update to a software. And number four, you should have the appropriate quality control procedures to identify and capture potential errors in the analysis that may occur. That's it. That's your four-step plan to computer system validation or qualification. I prefer the term qualification because I think it accurately reflects the process of ensuring that the critical software is performing as the vendor intended on your system. But it does not confirm 100% that the results will be accurate because users can still make mistakes in the use of the software. Like perhaps they input the wrong dose in the software, or maybe they miscoded something in their R code when they generated some output. Validation assumes that no matter what the user does, they basically can't make a mistake. And that's just not the case with pharmacometric software. But I'm okay if you use validation or qualification. I'll switch back and forth between them. Um, I prefer qualification, but sometimes I use validation because more people are familiar with that word. I should mention one caveat. If you have developed in-house software that you use for analysis, then more work is needed than what I'm describing in this podcast. For example, if you have custom software for calculation of NCA parameters written in C++, then you need to do more work to confirm that the software calculates all of the parameters correctly. I don't have time to review that topic on this podcast, but if you want to know more, reach out to me and I'd be happy to chat with you. Now, let's discuss each of these four points of the four-point plan in detail, and then I'll wrap up with a few final thoughts. The first thing you'll need for your computer system qualification is a plan. This is normally based on a standard operating procedure at your company for computer system validation. The essential parts are the following. Number one, a definition of the system where you describe the hardware, software, and security for the computer system. Number two, a list of software that will be installed on the system. I'll talk a little bit more about critical versus helper software in a minute. Three, a description of how you plan on installing the software. Four, a description of how you will test the functionality of the software. Five, a description of how you will manage changes to the computer system. And then lastly, six, who will approve computer system validation plan and all of the associated documents. Okay, let me talk about a few of these in detail. The software. When you list out the software, I recommend dividing it into two categories. The first category are those software packages that calculate values that you may include in reports. This is what I would call critical software or critical analysis software. Examples would include Monolix, Nonmem, Phoenix, R, SAS. The second category are those software packages that help you work on the computer, but don't necessarily calculate values. Examples include Notepad++, PDF viewers, 
Microsoft Office, web browsers, even the operating system. There are some software packages that could be considered in the middle because they sometimes do some calculations, but sometimes they're just helping. So some examples are Piranha, PSN, Expose, Sigma Plot. I have seen these applications categorized both ways, and it's up to you and your team to decide what works for your organization. The reason that I divide these up as critical and helper is because of how we will test them, which I'll describe a little bit later. I recommend that you list both the software and the name and the version number of the software that you plan on installing on the system. The next step is describing how you will do the installation of the software. This used to be called installation qualification or the IQ step of computer validation. Are you going to manually install each software? Does some software come pre-installed when you purchase the computer? Does your IT group have a standard image that is applied to a physical computer? Do you use a cloud-based solution like Metworks or AWS Workspaces where a compute or a computer is created from a standard image each time you need it? Whatever your method is, describe it and how you will record what software was installed. Now let's talk about testing the functionality of the software. And again, this is why I recommend you break it into two groups. You should plan on testing the functionality of software for the critical applications, but no functional testing is needed for helper applications. Usually the plan states that for each application in the critical software list, a set of requirements will be developed and testing will be performed to confirm that the requirements were met. I'll, take more, I'll talk more about the requirements and testing later in the podcast. This used to be called Operational Qualification, or OQ. However, I prefer the term Functional Testing, because that's what you're doing. In some documents, you'll hear about another type of testing called Performance Qualification, or PQ. I don't think this is relevant to PK analysis, because nearly all the software we use is single-user software, meaning when one user is running an analysis, another user doesn't have the ability to submit another request to the same software that is running the first analysis. Even on a shared grid, each model run is a self-contained application. Thus, I don't recommend performing PQ and I don't think it's necessary for pharmacometric software. Next, you will describe how changes will be made in the computer system. What's the frequency of performing updates? What kind of updates require reviews? Who has to approve the changes? What happens if the change causes a problem? Can you roll back to a previous version of the system before the changes were applied? What's the documentation plan for changes? Most of this will probably be covered by an SOP that your organization has. If not, the easiest practice is to essentially write a mini qualification plan each time you make a change to the system. Finally, a matrix to define who will approve each document during the qualification process. This is helpful so that everyone knows who is responsible for reviewing and approving each document. Again, this may be driven by your organization SOPs. Okay, now we got a plan. Let's execute it. The plan includes two types of testing, installation and functional. For each type of testing, you will need documentation. 
For installation testing, you'll need an installation testing plan that has a list of software to be installed, including version numbers, and a description of how you will record that the installations were completed. Then you'll have installation test results that are the documentation that you completed the installation testing according to the plan and describe any issues or problems. You do not have to have a screenshot of every step in the installation and every button that you clicked. You can simply have, hey, were all these software installed according to manufacturer instructions? Yes or no? And if no, describe any deviations. That's it. And then you sign a piece of paper. I've done that. It has absolutely passed with auditors. For functional testing, you need to create a functional testing plan, functional requirements, and then the functional test results. The functional testing plan lists the software to be tested and the requirements that will be tested. Some organizations include the requirements in the plan, while others have them in a separate document. These requirements should focus on what you need the software to do for your use case. You do not have to test every possible feature of the software and every button in the graphical user interface. For example, if you use non-mem to run your models, your functional requirements might be the following. Number one, can execute a non-mem model and produce an output file. Number two, can execute a non-mem model parallelized across multiple cores and produce an output file. And number three, can execute multiple non-mem models in parallel and produce output files for each one. That might be it. You don't have to test every possible model construct in non-mem. You just want to make sure that non-mem runs on your computer system. The responsibility to determine that non-mem performs minimization correctly is the responsibility of the software vendor, not the user. So you can take one of the models distributed for free with non-mem and the results for that model, which are known and distributed, and compare your output with the known output to confirm that when you run a model on your system, you get the same answer that the vendor did. And when, you're, and when you run the model under a variety of conditions that you expect to use, you still get the same answer. So as a brief example, the Control 5, the Theophylline example that's distributed with non-mem, that is the only model I ran when I validated non-mem at multiple companies. And I ran it in a few different ways. And when I compared the output, I did not compare every single thing in the output file. I compared things like, the objective function value, and the parameter estimates. That's it. That's enough to show if those are the same, I'm getting essentially the same output that the vendor had. Now, your organization may have some different expectations, but I will tell you that that has passed regulatory scrutiny from auditors as well as the FDA. Another example is Phoenix, which has numerous different features. I suspect most of you don't use every single feature in Phoenix. If you don't use the feature, you don't need to test it. For example, let's say you do not use the ASCII modeling features from Classic Wind on Lin. Don't bother testing whether the ASCII models work on Phoenix in your system. It doesn't matter. You don't need it. If you only use Phoenix to calculate NCA parameters, Run a simple test to confirm it runs properly to perform NCA and you are done. 
I know that Sertara sells an add-on application for validation. You can use that. It makes it a little bit easy. But honestly, it's overkill. If you see how many tests it runs and what the requirements are, they're pages and pages and pages of documentation. Yes, it runs on its own. Yes, it doesn't take very long. But honestly, if you write up two or three test cases and run them yourself using the examples that are provided by Phoenix, you can accomplish the same thing at a much lower cost, especially if you're not using every single function that, that Phoenix provides. Now, when you do your testing plan, you put that together, you got to record the results of testing in some way. You're going to compare your the output that you get to what you expect to get. You're going to record any differences or issues that you encounter. The final document that you have is a summary of the results of testing and a declaration of the qualification status of the system. Usually this document is a listing of all tests performed with a note of pass or fail, a short description of any issues or failed tests, and then at the end, a declaration of is the system considered qualified or validated. You can have a validated system even when a test fails. For example, I was doing functional testing with RStudio on a cloud-based uh, Citrix system. And we had a problem generating PDF documents from an R Markdown script on the system. The test failed. However, creating HTML documents from the same R Markdown script worked fine. We noted that one test fail, failed, but the ability to produce a PDF document was not critical to the functionality of the system. So we declared that the system passed validation. We had multiple auditors review our qualification and validation documents during this time. No one had a concern. Several months later, when we resolved the conflict with PDF generation by updating a supporting piece of software, we performed a planned change on the system. We updated the validation documentation and we had a successful test for the creation of the PDF document. So you don't have to have a 100% pass rate. But if one of your features is can run a non-mem model and produce an output file and that test fails, you probably can't consider your system qualified. So it depends on what the failure is. Is it really critical to what you're doing or not? Congratulations, your computer system is now validated. See, not that hard. So there's two more topics I wanna to cover. So the first is change management. This is really, really important for computer systems. The importance of it lies in the ability to tell a reviewer or an auditor which versions of software you used in your analysis. In addition, sometimes changing a version of one software can cause a conflict with an interacting software. For example, when you update your version of R, you may also have to update R tools to ensure that all of your code will work. I think there's two categories of changes that should be considered. The first and most obvious are changes to the critical analysis software applications. If you change the version of one of those software packages, you should perform functional testing of all related applications to ensure that they are operating properly. This applies to underlying applications that support these critical analysis software. For example, if you update your Fortran compiler, even if you don't change the non-mem version, you should probably 
retest your non-MEM software. The second category are helper applications and operating system patches. These are highly unlikely to impact the operation of critical analysis software. Thus, you can usually perform a simple installation qualification for these updates. However, if you have concerns, you can rerun functional testing as appropriate. Here's a couple of examples. Let's say you applied a patch to the current version of the Linux operating system. You probably don't need to do functional testing. But what if you change from Red Hat Linux to Ubuntu Linux? You may want to perform functional testing. In general, change management procedures follow the same outline as the qualification process. However, only the specific changes and associated testing is discussed. The entire qualification process is not repeated unless the risk of errors demands that you redo everything. So as an example, maybe you have local applications. So everybody has Phoenix and non-mem installed on their local laptops. And now you're switching and using all the same versions, but you're going to install it on an AWS workspace or on Metworks. If you're doing that, maybe you have to repeat the entire qualification plan because honestly, you're changing your big, a big change with the computer system. But if you're not doing that, you might not have to redo it. Okay, last topic is quality control. And you might go, why is quality control in a discussion around computer system validation? It's because no computer system that I've ever encountered for pharmacometrics can completely eliminate user errors. Individuals will make mistakes in coding up models, data set preparation, or diagnostic plots. They will make errors when they're selecting analysis options when using graphical user interfaces. Errors will happen. To avoid errors in your final results, you must implement quality control checks at the steps where errors occur in your organization. Errors don't occur in the same place in every organization, and they don't occur in the same place within an organization as the organization changes over time. So if a common error is running a model with the wrong input data set, include a check in your QC form when you're reviewing the final model to confirm that they use the final data set. The quality control processes cover the, the gaps that may exist in your organization process to catch errors. I remember one of my jobs had a QC on the selection of time points to be used in the terminal elimination rate constant. How did they implement it? The analyst would select all the time points in their software. Then they'd run across the office to get a supervisor to sit at their same computer and click through every subject profile to approve the selection of the time points before the parameters were calculated. Did these supervisors ever catch an error? Nope. In my opinion, that was a dumb QC. In contrast, another organization reviewed the model code for a non-MEM model when reviewing the draft report. The reviewer would pull up the final model and confirm that the structural model listed in the report matched the model used in the non-MEM code. Many errors were caught. Mostly, the wrong model file was named as the final model. So develop your QC processes to catch where you are prone to errors. And when an auditor asks, explain that the computer system validation 
and quality control process are jointly responsible for ensuring accurate results. All right, some parting thoughts about computer system validation. It is important and it is useful. However, it doesn't have to be hard. I have completed a full system validation for over 300 users in a matter of four weeks of calendar time. And I completed the validation by performing fewer than 20 test cases to validate Phoenix, R, SAS, and non-MEM. It is doable. Break it down into smaller pieces, but also understand what you're doing. Computer system validation is simply documenting that specific software packages installed on your computer system perform exactly the same way as reported by the vendor. I have not mentioned electronic signatures in this podcast because I don't believe they're required for PK analyses according to any guidance or even 21 CFR Part 11. It is very, very hard to have a 21 CFR Part 11 compliant system for pharmacometrics. I have seen some, but they are all cumbersome to use and honestly, the FDA has never asked me about electronic signatures for pharmacometric analyses. And I've had a lot of interactions with the FDA for a lot of different companies and organizations. So my advice is don't implement 21 CFR Part 11 compliance for your pharmacometrics computer system. Instead, use computer system validation and an appropriate set of quality control checks. Thanks again for joining me throughout 2023. I really enjoyed preparing these podcasts and I'm so happy that you listen. Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. For more information, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me an email to nathan at tushersolutions.com or sign up for my newsletter at tushersolutions.com forward slash newsletter. The newsletter is a copy of the show notes sent to your email each time an episode is released. Also, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to the show. Thank you.